think it is your favorite topic for podcasting ever. We're talking about Mac development, developing yes. Macs on and for the Mac. Yes, 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 yes. I didn't know what you were going to say. I thought Nintendo might be releasing a new product. Truly, James, every time we record, I'm kind of hoping Nintendo has released a new product. But if not, then I want to talk about the Mac, and I'm so excited. Great. Thank you. What are we talking about, though? All right. We're talking about three things today, Frank. Now, just wait for me to get through all the three things. You don't know what they are, but it's going to happen. I'm very excited about it. Number one, we're going to talk about M1 processors and the DTK program that is coming to a close. So that's number one. Number two, we're talking about monetization of Mac apps and the true potential that we all have that we don't know. And then number three, Frank released a new app on the Mac, and we're going to talk all about that, which kind of is part of number two leading into number three. How's that sound, Frank? <laughs> I am so excited. I am so here for this, as the kids would say. Um, I, I, I think we're finally going to get to continue that M1. We overdid it a little bit. Heard from a few people saying I'm a little tired of the M1. So we took a break, but we're back, back with the M1 talk. I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, so big news in the M1 world. Uh, we finally got an email from Apple letting us know what was going on with the DDK because those came out way back in July-ish, I want to say. But it doesn't feel like we've heard from Apple at all since that time like they, they arrived on our doorstops we were all very happy we recorded a bunch of podcasts about it and then apple went silent and we hadn't heard anything back from them and it was honestly a little bit confusing because none of us knew a what to do with these things because they weren't actually useful we can talk about that and b uh if we would get anything in return for them so what happened james well, Apple sent us a little email that says, hey, we're just letting everyone know that this program is coming to a close and we're going to want those DTKs back. And I was pretty excited because, as you know, Frank, and our listeners may know, my DTK stopped working about a month after I got it through updates. <laughs> it stopped updating and I couldn't update it. And I can't, I can't even turn it on anymore. And I emailed Apple and they said, sorry, keep it for now. <laughs> and I said, okay. Um, all right. Classic DDK. Classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, beta hardware. Go figure. And if people remember, we paid $500 for the opportunity to get this hardware early to test. And I did report a bunch of bugs and they fixed a bunch of my bugs. So that was kind of cool. Like the first few days, I found tons of bugs and on it as well. And it was cool to see um, Big Sur early and things like that. Uh, and of course, to see, you know, what the future of this M1 stuff would be. But they sent us an email and they said, hey, this is coming to a close and we're in the future at some point soon, no timeline, we're going to tell you how to send it back to us. So I hope you kept everything that we yeah, sent okay. you, including the box. Let me interrupt you here now, James. This is very critical. Were you able to find the box? Oh, I have a, a nice little nook in my closet that is the DTK oh. zone, baby. It's like, this is where the <laughs> DTK stuff goes and nothing else is here. And it's the original box, original packaging, all the goodness. And it, it's in it's in it right now. It's ready to go home, Frank. Oh, I, I'm very proud of you. But I'm also very proud of myself because I was able to maintain the box, which I have been spring cleaning like the devil during this pandemic. Like I basically sleep, code, and clean my apartment now and just throw things out. So I thought it was a small miracle that I still had that box, but I still had it too. So go us. 
Nice. Well, they said we were going to want that original box back um, or else we're going to charge you for that. No, they didn't <laughs> Very <say that>. important. <laughs> I think they did say an all original packaging. I'm pretty they sure. They did. They did. Yeah. It made me nervous. <laughs> and uh, they're like, obviously, you're a Mac user. You know you have all of your original boxes for everything that you've ever purchased. <laughs> so, And they said that they we're going to give you a $200 credit off of M1 devices. And I was like, cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the big question we all had in our heads of... A, would there be any trade-in? Because we signed an agreement basically saying they owe us nothing. <laughs> we are leasing these devices. We have to return them. No guarantee, nothing else. Uh, so the big question we all had was what was what was the trade-in going to be like? So we got the email, 200 bucks. And I'll, I'll admit that I was a little bit disappointed only because the internet had gotten me all hyped up. I had, when I first bought bought whatever least the ddk i was 100 percent into i'm just throwing 500 bucks away in order that i can test my apps out which is fine i'm an app developer it's my career i can do that um i was hoping though (laughs) because the internet kept getting my hopes up that i don't know they'd give me a mac pro with an xdr monitor and a couple ipads off to the side for you know being such a good sport yeah Okay. <laughs> right? That's, that's I, I, what the internet promised us. <laughs> well, and I believe the last time this happened from the um, PowerPC to Intel swap, they they were pretty gracious in uh, the upgrade offer that they gave developers back They were then. also more expensive. Developers paid $1,500, what, 10, 15 years ago. So the finances were quite a bit different in this yeah. case. Yeah. Well, but I should say that I'm still rocking my $1 Apple TV that I got as a developer. That was when the new, uh, oof, I don't even remember what, it was like the first Apple TV that you could develop apps on, maybe. And uh, they were selling them to for $1 to developers. And that was fun to get back in the day. Still using it. I, I still have mine. Yep. It's still sitting around. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> still cool. Sitting, not plugged in. Oh, poor little Apple TV. No, I wanted the the 4K stuff because that one has the Apple Fitness Plus on it. Yeah. So, so you you said your DDK broke after a month, but I'll say I, I wasn't happy with the DDK because when Big Sur was finally released, the DDK was not able to do kind of the thing that I cared most about, which was run iOS apps off the App Store. Yeah. That was the experience I wanted to test out and play with. The DDK, because it wasn't an M1 processor, it was just an iPad in a box, uh, it wasn't capable or it wasn't allowed, I don't know, you know, it was a technical or whatever, uh, it wasn't allowed to run those apps. And so that was kind of a little heartbreaking. And the DDK just wasn't as valuable to me as I'd hoped it was. That's why I drove across the state to buy an M1 when they came out. Yeah, I... Oh, that's the main reason I wanted to to run it as well. I wanted to see Island Tracker on it. I wanted to test my applications. It was cool to test my existing applications for Mac, like my stream timer, just make sure it was working and all good and good to go. But I feel like that was the biggest issue. Now, apparently the internet, I did not, I did not follow any threads. I didn't read anything about mm-hmm. this after I got the email. I was like, cool archive. I'll wait for the return thing. Cause you, by the way, you have to return it or else you, the, they pretty much said they're going to revoke your Apple developer account. And oh, as an Apple developer, <laughs> you do not want that. Cause a lot of people are like, well, don't return it. And then it'll be like the Apple one where, you know, th- apparently there's an Apple two trade-in program. There's not very many yeah. Apple ones in the world or something. I'm like, 
I'm not going to get my developer account revoked. That seems like a bad idea. I signed an agreement with Apple. I'm not yeah. backing out on that thing. That is for no. sure. No, that that's my livelihood. Could you imagine losing your livelihood over a stupid five hundred dollar device? Wow, terrible, <laughs> like, terrible. No, 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 no. I'm really happy I kept the box. You're making me super yeah. paranoid right now. So yeah, we got a new email, and uh, so okay, the internet was complaining. I caught that much, but mostly I think we we're the people I saw complaining were doing it graciously. They're like, yeah, yeah, uh, two hundred dollars. It's not what I was hoping for, but it's still nice that. Apple's giving us something, but I guess uh, Apple didn't like what they were hearing and thought they could do a little bit better than that. So what happened? So we got another email that said, hey, we, <laughs> we heard you. We heard you loud and clear. And and we're going to do two things. One is we're going to give you $500 a store credit that you can use on any product in the Apple App Store, which interesting. And uh, also you have the whole year to use it instead of until like May or June or something like that. So um, I guess that means should we wait for the M2 processor this fall? Is that what it should do? <laughs> M1S, M1X. We don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I, I I was thrilled with this news. Not only the money's good, obviously, because <laughs> it's almost a wash then for what we paid for these devices. But like a lot of other developers, I'd already raced ahead and bought the M1. You know, I'd already put more money down. So this is kind of nice. Um, I can go find something at Apple that costs $500 and get that instead because I've already put money into an M1. I don't think you need two machines. You know, It's not like iPhones and iPads where it's kind of fun to collect them. I am not going to start collecting Macs. So I'll probably find another nice dev device or something for testing to spend the money on. What about you? What are you going to do with your newfound fortune? Well, I thought I knew what I was going to do now. Based on this conversation, I might do something different based on what you're oh. about to recommend or not. So I have an old MacBook Pro 2013 late model, which is great. And it is it is basically at end of life because Big Sur is the last OS update that it's going to get. Um, yeah. We assume because uh, it, it's the last model that can get this one. And, it, and it's, it's very buggy. I will say it's probably the most buggiest <laughs> OS on this device yet. I mean, I had it, I, I, I was in a boot loop earlier this week. Oh no. I, yeah. I had to, to, to PRAM reset to get it out and VRAM and other things. I got it out. I got it out. But, um, I was like, well, I want to, I guess I'll get a MacBook air because I hear they're screaming fast and you recommended it. And I was like, maybe it's time to, to, to go over. And with $500, I can upgrade it a little bit. Apple's just going to get their money back. That's the thing. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's smart. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have thought $400. So $100 for shipping and, you know, logistics, you know, 250 I don't know. But anyways, but now should I wait for the fall when there's going to be a processor bump? Is there going to be a processor bump? Oh. Should I, or should I go now? You know what I mean? I, my personal recommendation is go now. Um, I'm sure there will be. There will be. And you're, the M1, I, I like it for a couple of reasons. It's a good chip. It's fine. If there is a speed improvement, the silly thing has eight cores. I promise you there are no apps out there that take advantage of all those cores. If there was, I would be saying oh, definitely hang on because whatever app uses all those cores. But no, apps are single threaded. It's annoying. And so you're not you're not gaining anything um, by building out the chip. Now, if they increase the actual megahertz of it, but then you're killing your battery life and you're killing other things about the computer that are very nice. You might need a fan and those kinds of things. I think uh, as developers, you should 
go get the cheapest M1 you can or go get the a nice one if you can afford it um, because they're excellent computers. Uh, for a V1, we've talked about it. It's surprisingly good for a V1. And chances are these are going to be the, well, they are the oldest model of this type, this generation. That is the perfect test device because mm. going back in time, there may be a point where the new OS needs an M1X to run and therefore the M1s fall out, but they will be the best device up to that point for making sure that your apps run well on an M1. So all of that's to say, <laughs> I think it's still a good chip to go by right now. I really want to get one only because every single new Mac that people buy will have an M1 chip. You know what I mean? And I've had a few people hit me up on Twitter that are, they say they're having issues and it's on M1, but I, I don't actually think it's an issue, but like, it'd be nice to have an M1 to verify that I'm not crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that would be the only logistical reason that I would do that. And I would say I would get a Mac mini. However, I don't want to hook it up to a monitor. So I think I'll just, and you know, the MacBook air is going to be so much lighter than this five pound MacBook pro 2013. I mean, I love this device and great keyboard works really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. How many ports does the MacBook Air have? Does it have real ports? <laughs> no, it doesn't have real ports. Actually, uh, it has an audio jack for some reason, um, but two uh, USB-C Thunderbolt 3-ish ports mm. on it. See, that's um, the thing is, I'm like, oh man, what if I wait and then I hear that they're bringing back the lightning port? Maybe I should wait till WWDC? <laughs> uh, no, they wouldn't Yeah, the there. There's, there's always rumors of MagSafe coming back. But honestly, I, I've adopted the USB-C lifestyle, and I'm kind of not regretting it. Things have been working out pretty well in that world. It, it It's an interesting computer because it's not perfect. I, I really enjoy saying how fast it is and all that stuff. But truth is, like, there's a lot of Intel code out there, and basically the only things that are running native ARM on it is Apple's software. Everything else, like today, right now, whenever we're recording this, most stuff is Intel on it. It's it's getting to be a little bit of a game of mine of seeing how much of my dev tooling I can get to be ARM on that processor. Mm. But you definitely take a little performance hit going through Rosetta. Rosetta is amazing. It is wonderful. It is a technical achievement. But it's still slower than running native <laughs> you know native is native you want to be running at the full speed of that processor yeah and so we're still in a funny little stage like all of 2021 is going to be us updating software on this computer so i don't want to give the impression that this thing is like a magical utopia of computing you know the the silliest strangest things don't work on it on top of that it's Big Sur, which has yet another like security model and all that stuff so all that's to say um it's still a dev machine. It's wonderful, but it's not perfect still. And I think also, I even though this MacBook Pro is ready for retirement, I don't think I can get rid of it yet because I still want an Intel Mac around. I think I have to for some foreseeable future because of the test matrix, right? It is kind of nice. I have an old iPhone 6, which can't upgrade past iOS 12, and it is really nice to have that. So I'm thinking I'll keep it around. I was thinking about maybe, you know, can I gift it to someone i do you know, you know what i mean oh, all no. these things i think i gotta keep it though we are stuck with intel on mac for a long time yeah. like i'm gonna be shipping version an intel version of iCircuit 
minimum five years, maybe longer, hopefully not, but minimum five years. Imagine all the everyone who owns a Mac out there right now today, which obviously isn't as large as Windows and PCs and all that, but it's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all Intel. It's not going anywhere. They're not throwing it in the garbage. I hope people aren't. It's still a good computer. So you're going to need an Intel dev machine for a while. It's still good, I swear. And I guess also if I get a MacBook get a MacBook Air, there's no touch bar. So that's a big benefit. So that touch bar's got to go. It's got to go away, right? It's going yeah, to it, go away. It just depends on what you want to use it for. I was very happy with my Mini. It's a great little computer, has all the ports. You know, you plug it in, it works, good, good to go. I only got the Air because I'm hoping this pandemic ends at some point and I can resume traveling. And I wanted a good, sturdy travel laptop because like you, actually my laptop aged out. We talked about it on the show before. I couldn't even get it up to Big Sur. So I just needed a new travel machine. Yeah, I like it. All right, well, let's take a break and thank our amazing sponsor this week. Listen, I literally just updated an app, Island Tracker. It's completely free on the App Store now with in-app purchases optionally. So if you're playing Animal Crossing, you can go grab, grab this app, track your turnips. But I use Sync Fusion controls extensively, so much that I literally just did a webinar about how much I use and love Sync Fusion controls for Sync Fusion. Okay, this is crazy. This is super meta, right? I love everything about it because no matter what you're building, whether it's a Xamarin app, a web application, a desktop application, whether it's written in C Sharp or in JavaScript or some other language, they have amazing controls and integrations for all of your applications. Literally, no matter what you want, you want like list views, you want sliders, you want you want pickers, you want mass things, you want graphs and charts, they have everything. Do you need to parse data in PDFs or maybe Excel spreadsheets or Word documents? They got libraries to do that too. They have everything covered. It's amazing. And I love Syncfusion because not only is it like very simple, straight pricing on everything that you may need, but additionally, they have a great community edition that you can tap into as well. Now, if you're like me, you're probably like, wow, I need all these things in my app right now. Where do I go? Simple. Syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. It's their website slash merge conflict. Syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Or there's a link down there below. Listen, I love them. I think you're going to love them. I hope you do. I've had a lot of people write into the show telling me how much like it's been awesome to find Sync Fusion, put them in their their apps and save so much time. It's all about productivity. Stop writing more custom controls and just just use Sync Fusion. Syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Thanks, Sync Fusion, for sponsoring this week's pod. That's a whole new uh, off the cuff. That was all off the cuff, Frank. <laughs> Thank you, Syncfusion. I kind of am very sad that I missed your uh, little demo there. I would have really enjoyed seeing that. Oh, it's on YouTube. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love to I love to see how people use controls, not just the controls themselves. You like to see them, yeah. Actually, I had running. to um it was really it was a fun webinar, and I'll get back to the, the MacBook stuff. It was a fun webinar because I I went in and I've I've given kind of like uh the Azure and Xamarin side of Island Tracker demo presentation before. But this one, I was really focusing on Syncfusion plus tips and tricks and my learnings and like how I optimize things. And then I also spent a lot, a lot of time like describing what is Animal Crossing? What is this game? About? Why do I care about turnips? Why is there a stock market? You know what I mean? So that was quite fun. I did it with, you know, um, images and, and and a bunch of things. I thought it was fun. You know, let's tell me what you think. Um, it was it was a go. It was like a month ago, so it wasn't too long ago. So I I always love uh, presentations with a theme like that. Like mm. when the the demo topic is interesting, you know, you can only have the Contessa or Contessa checkout thing so often. Yeah, Contessa. 
Contosa, thank you. Contosa. I was so close. <laughs> there's um, Tailwind Trailers, tra- Tailwind Traders, Contosa. Yeah, there's another one. That was the classic, the Tailwind one. That was Tailwind. Was that Access? One of, one of the defaults in Microsoft Access. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So, James, um, we've been talking about pricing models for a while now, but you just sent me a screenshot just before we started recording about your new app is released on Mac OS. Tell me more. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a big fan of Mac OS. I released, uh, we're talking about my stream timer. Everything starts with a my, my cadence, my stream timer, my, my. And I released an update uh, for this um, today. And well, it's pending my release, apparently. And oh. <laughs> I, I was thinking about monetization. And you and I talked a lot about um, in-app purchases, subscription models, paid models. And I had someone reach out to me recently. It was an instructor. I, my stream timer is a very simple app. And if you're newer to the podcast, I'll describe it as when you're live streaming, you want to have a countdown, like a clock that's counting down. And we use tools like uh, OBS, which is open broadcast software and um, Streamlabs OBS, which is Streamlabs is a company that like, you know, kind of white labeled it. And um, you can add a label to display text and you can also read from a file. So I said, well, I can make an app that has a countdown. So you can say, what what is it going to display? And every second it counts down and it just writes to the file every second, you know, every half a second, every quarter, three quarters of a second and display that in the app. And I called it my stream timer. I put it out for me and it, and you use it, Frank, and, and I use it too. I use it every week. It's 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 the app that I use the most of yours because I still don't trade turnips. Let's be honest. <laughs> sure. um, it, it's such a hack. I can't. Not your app. I'm sorry. The, the whole label thing in OBS, like you're just reading from a file and it reads from that file like every second or something. It's the weirdest hack. But if you can imagine any app you write that dumps out some stuff to a text file, you can put it on screen. So you had that wonderful idea of I'm going to put a bunch of controls in the app and make it really useful. So the reason we were we would talk about it is you and I would talk about like download numbers off the show and that kind of stuff. And you would tell me your numbers for it. I'm like, James, that's your most popular app. It is. And we, we keep talking about monetizing all these other apps, but your one most popular app by orders of magnitude, a wide margin, right. it was the one that you were not monetizing at all. And I was like, I see a problem here, James. <laughs> and I suggest that, and this is me talking, you know, I, I'm terrible at monetization. I'm terrible at picking pricing, I think. But uh, I was like, dude, you got you to gotta put at least something in there. So what did you do? <laughs> well, you know, the it's funny because this app I started on Windows, I brought it to Mac via Xamarin Forms, and now I release a UWP app via Xamarin Forms, which makes it easier to monetize on Windows. And, you know, the, the app does well. Uh, it's, I, I've got to say, nearly 15,000 downloads between the two OSs. Um, I, I don't have, I don't track any activity, so those aren't active users, but just downloads. I believe that the pandemic maybe brought more people into live streaming and other areas in which people would be live streaming, like businesses. And I recently had a lot of outreach of questions from like brand new people broadcasting, such as teachers and like yoga instructors were reaching out to me. Oh, workouts. Sorry. Just, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of that. Great. Got it. Work, your workouts, cooking classes. I mean, anything that you would want to do 
And if you don't want it to just be a Zoom thing and you want it to be one directional, it's that. But also a lot of people are getting into the um, uh, virtual webcam, right? And OBS, you can say, create a virtual webcam and anything on the screen, you can have green screen, you can do all this stuff inside of OBS and that is your webcam. So there's all these other use cases, even if you're just a teacher inside of Zoom. Yeah, let's pause here because this is a super cool tip and trick. I'm sure everyone's figured out their own webcam setups by now. We're all stuck in phone calls. <laughs> but um, uh, it's it's nice to be able to set up OBS yourself, even if you're not live streaming on the internet, but just to work as a virtual cam. As you said, you can get a little plugin like a virtual cam plugin. And that way, no matter what software you're using, you can control what's actually being output there. So you can have all your timers if you want to do something crazy like that. But it's just more about control. You don't have to worry about the app doing something silly with your camera or I don't know. If you want to, yeah, if you want to blind out different spots in the background, you can reliably do that. Yeah. And and I was getting all this feedback and I thought, man, you know, Frank was was kind of onto something that this is the most downloaded app. And yet I'm not I'm and I'm adding a lot of feature <laughs> requests based on what people have been asking me because they're good feature requests. Like, I'm like, I could do that. Like I can add that thing. I, <laughs> you, you gave me some, you like wanted some different things and I'm like, I can do that. And, um, I was like, okay, well I'll, maybe I'll put in app purchases in this. And I was like, maybe I'll put in a pro mode, right? I'll put in a pro mode. Uh, I'm a big fan of pro modes cause everything is a pro mode. And I didn't know if Apple would allow this because I don't want to, I don't want to lock any features of the app. I just want a way that basically people could Venmo me, right? And like, here's an in-app purchase. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I, yeah, I saw this in another app or the the health the Heartcast app, which broadcasts your Apple Watch to like an iPad, your heart heart rate. And he had something in there to the developer, which was a pro mode that was just a dollar ninety nine thank you token. And I was like, man, well they they allowed this, maybe they'll do this. So I was talking to this teacher, and I'm and I'm and I'm getting ready to like implement this, and I asked. Funny enough, I asked the teacher, um, you know, what do you think about if I was to put an in-app purchase? Because they were asking if they could, if they could, you know, send me money. And I was like, well, I've been thinking about putting an in-app purchase, like some sort of pro mode. Like, well, how does that sound? And how much do you think I should charge for it? And then, because I was going to do $4.99, big fan of mm-hmm. $4.99. Yeah. And, um, you know, two coffees. And they come back to me and they're like, you should put in levels, a bronze, silver, and gold level. And I was like, well, this is a genius, right? And, like, <laughs> and they're, like, they're like, you know, if someone wants to give you $100, don't let them not give you $100. <laughs> was this a yoga instructor? Who was this? <laughs> this was a school, a school, a teacher a school. at a university, at a university. Oh, it's always those university professors. They've always got a little eye toward the business. All my professors were like that too. Okay, I was an, I I like was an economics teacher. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, that is really funny. Um, I agree with them though. I think we've had that discussion before, perhaps when I was talking about tip jars. I did mm-hmm. a tip jar in Kelka for a while, a patron support in Kelka. And I think, gosh, I would have even said it was you who gave me that advice of... Or maybe it was like a a Patreon thing or a GitHub sponsors thing of just, you know, have a couple high end ones just in case someone wants to, you know, give you a bunch of money. Don't stop them. Yeah, don't stop stop them. them. You know, if someone wants to give you money, well, I think wasn't it. uh, Yeah, I think I've been yelling at you to add a new tier to 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 
for your page or your GitHub sponsorships or whatever, like give have more options than five. Well, I guess no, you did. You do have more now than five, don't you? I don't know. I think I took your advice honestly. Oh, I think okay. I oh, put like a few ridiculous tiers just in 100. case there was someone out there ridiculous who really wants to sponsor me. They would yeah. be a saint. Yeah, but I figure why not? So I went on this journey and I have the in-app billing plugin and I hopped into your stream on Sunday. And I asked you a completely off-question topic that you completely ignored. So I said, fine, I'll go do oh, it myself. Gosh darn it. I missed it then. <laughs> I, I, did, I, did I address it and ignore it or not address it at all? Oh, you just skimmed right over it. And I was like, you I know what? He's, he's into the development. <laughs> I'm not going to stop him. Oh, um, darn. So oh, I went darn. out. It was a nice day on Sunday. And um, you know the nice thing about Mac OS is that it also uses StoreKit um, for the main API. So... For me to bring over support, which people have been asking for for like three years from, it already supports iOS and tvOS, but to bring it into macOS, I, there's a few APIs that don't exist because StoreKit on iOS has been out for longer than it has been on macOS, which is an important thing to remember. But um, what I had to do was comment a few lines of code, like there's no receipts, you have to like query the something else to get receipts like at a system level an app level and it's not on the actual thing that's brought back but then also ios originally had this amazing api when you were going to go make a purchase which was to just give it a string like the id say please go buy this id and that has been deprecated although it still still totally works and that's what i use for ios now maybe I'll upgrade it, but the Mac OS one doesn't have that where you can't create an SK product from a, from a SKU. You have to go query the products and then, you know, feed it that, that product that you have. So I had, luckily I had that, I already had that logic in the, in the library. So within two hours, Frank, I had the library updated out on NuGet updated, good to go. I slapped, I literally, now I have a, a view model that is just like copy and paste this view model and you got in-app purchases in your app, you know, <laughs> um, not subscriptions, nice. non-consumables. Non I'm a big fan of that. And, and bingo, bango, like I got three in-app purchases and you can buy all three. You want to give me, I guess it would be $35 total, five, 10 and 20. And I have, it's bronze. It's, it's so stupid. It's just bronze, silver and gold. And all it does is when you buy it, the button goes away and it's all like, Bronze, bronze unlocked, silver unlocked, gold unlocked. Aww. It's amazing. Do you at least put that text in the correct color? So like, oh, you just a little gold coin or a bronze coin in the upper right or something like that. Just don't, let me know that I'm gold level, James. Don't worry, Frank. That text is in the correct color of your award that you've unlocked. Fantastic. I approve. And, and, and that's a starting <laughs> point. Maybe I'll do more things, but I don't want to clutter other parts of the UI no. or other things. But it's like when you go to the it's it's a patron tab, and when you go there, um, you can do these things. And I was like, I, I I had it as normal text, and then I was like, I bet if I don't do that, Frank's gonna say something. So I made it yeah. I made it bronze, silver, and gold for the different OSs. Um, and I paid for that yellow text, yo. I want my yellow text. <laughs> that works good unless it is bronze and gold always work good, no matter what the theme is. But Silver does not. So I believe right. that when it's light theme, I do dark gray. So as close as I could do. 
yeah, I was even going to say a black would be fine in that case. Uh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I'm curious to see how it does for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it's an interesting market out there. Um, they definitely like the free app, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I'm very proud of you that at least there is the potential <laughs> to make money off of your most successful app. So, um, yeah, <laughs> just that's all there is. And I'm proud that you uh, are keeping up with the Mac software, honestly. Well mostly because that's the version I use, so it's the version I care most about. But I know you you do a lot of Mac, do a lot of iOS, but you really love your Windows, so I appreciate it. I've been, you know, I this update will go out first on Mac OS, and it just, I guess because that person was using Mac OS, and I was like, all right, cool, and, and I <laughs> figure why not. But I use the, the Windows version personally the most, but uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm in into it. I think that there's great opportunity on the Mac. I wrote a blog post today on how I brought my in-app billing plugin cross-platform to Mac OS and what the changes I needed to make and why I did it. And I even did a sweet shout out to iCircuit 3D, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but it kind of inspired me, you know, whenever you do something, Frank, I also need to do something to make myself feel good again. Like I am an app developer. Oh, Frank's over here making billions of dollars. I need to at least put out an app that's free that no one will give me any money on, but maybe. So, wow, with that attitude. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I think you know I'm learning a lot from you, and I think there is great potential on the Mac, um, even though you know Windows obviously outscales Mac. But I think that there's this new generation of of people like these these instructors and yoga teachers that are in this space that I'm in, and when someone's in the space that you're in you're like, Oh, there's like cool things and I want to support it. So I'll have the windows update pretty soon. Luckily it's hundred percent cross platform and in-app purchases totally work already with my in-app billing library. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And I think that, you know, people shouldn't overlook the Mac because, you know, when Don at Maui comes out later this year, it'll have built in Mac support mm-hmm. and, um, through catalyst, which you won't even need my mm-hmm. in-app billing library for <laughs> Mac. It'll just work for iOS and everything will work magically. Uh, but, you know, there's there's sort of something to to think about is, hey, how much energy or effort should I put into into this app? And the answer is probably little, you know, and, and make it you know, be a little bit reactive and look pretty, you know, energy into the Mac and think about, you know, what you're doing over there. Same thing with the M1 stuff. Like, should it be there? Should it not be there? Test it out, which is another good reason to have an M1 processor Mac. But I think there's potential, especially if you already have the iOS app or you have something else. And based on your app, if it's a good fit, you know, there's some potential there. And I feel like with you, Frank, you're almost step in step. I think that what, like 75% of your apps have a Mac version as well. Yeah, pretty much. Um, You know, and it's always for a kind of a funny reason. It turns out Xamarin.Mac development. So like classic app kit access through C sharp is an amazing development experience. Um, the the tools are fast and kind of bug-free because it's not really a special version of Mono. It's just Mono running on a Mac. It's happy. Yeah. The JIT's running. You know, nothing special is really happening. So the debugger is happy. Mm. Um, you have access to all of .NET, all of NuGet. You have access to all of Apple. Um, they're... Compile times are, you Fast. know, five seconds or less. The app is up and running instantly. It's just an amazing development experience. Uh, so the, in the case, 
the yeah. archive the archiving when you archive yeah. your application <laughs> takes 10 seconds and you're like uh did i miss something or right not? is <laughs> is this what my app's only 16 megabytes what's that what's happening what's going on? i'm so what's going on here what's going on here? i don't even aot my apps because they're so fast yeah and no one does that but i tell you you hit that aot button and it's redonkulous like you, you double click the icon and the app's up instantly it's just amazing i love the mac it's a great development experience uh all you windows users i'm sure you have a lovely development experience too i'm just saying uh so when i'm writing an app um let's take iCircuit 3d for example i started on the ipad that was i designed the ui to be comfortable on the ipad i developed the interaction model on the ipad i did all that stuff on the ipad most notably, James, because stupid metal apps back then could not run in the simulator. So I had to make sure that I did everything on the iPad. But that was getting frustrating. So just kind of on a whim, I really was focusing on iPad. I built a Mac version of the app just because the debugging experience was so much faster. Builds were so much faster. You know, all the things that we just said. And um, I just kept working on it and working on it. Yeah, a trick that uh, some people do on Windows, even if you're not going to ship like a a Windows application, um, if you're just doing iOS and Android development, a lot of developers will add a UWP head project and they'll do all their debugging and their logic there because it's a faster loop because a simulator going to a device, no matter how hot and fast hot restart is and how fast, you know, the Xamarin team can make it deploy there's all these compilation additional steps compared to just running it on a Mac or running it on windows. So they'll do that. And, and that was the big, one of the bigger reasons besides like Don and Maui support this fall that the hot reload came to UWP and the teams worked together to get that all working in the pipeline. Cause there's multiple things going on there um, to get that working because now you can just go to town and do it there, you know, and, and actually that works on a Mac too. Yeah. So if you have a Mac version and you're using Xamarin forms for your Mac, that also works with, with hot reload, which is, which is pretty cool. And I use it all the time. So it's, it's nice sidebar. We, we really have to do a whole episode on hot reload because that has just completely changed Xamarin forms development. That has just made it so much more pleasant. It's made me want to write things in XAML and you know me, I'm, I'm native all the way, but I'm like, this is just such a better development experience. You know, I'm just, I just wanted a good development experience and it runs just as well on device. Okay. So all that, um, but yeah, this week I decided, uh, to release the Mac version of iCircuit 3D, which I was super excited about because, like I said, I started on the iPad. I started this Mac version just for my own convenience, but then quickly discovered, gosh darn it, this app is really good on a Mac, (laughs) and um, it really needs to be exposed in that light. So I really was just trying to focus on one OS, but then just realized that it's excellent on both, and I wanted to expose that. Now, if this, if I was starting today, I would probably still just focus on the iPad version and use Mac Catalyst to do the Apple version because it's, it's definitely not as good as AppKit. You can do so much more in AppKit, but it does 95% of what AppKit does, and it's the 95% that you actually care about, and so I'd probably do things differently. But because I had spent two and a half years, essentially, refining this Mac interface, I decided it would be silly to throw all that work out. And so I decided to keep pressing forward and release the AppKit version of it. 
Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a thing where it's like, well, you've already been so long. There's always a, what if, if I could go back and what if this thing existed, you know, I already, already did it. I mean, you always have the potential to in the future, um, to change it over. Right. Just like you right now, my app is working really good with the Xamarin forms version and maybe in a, maybe this fall or maybe next year, I'll, you know, put it on Don Maui. Maybe I won't. Right. Oh, right. (laughs) Xamarin forms will support it you know, for another year after that. So I have like a while to figure that out. And, and then, you know, or maybe, and the catalyst version will be so good. Right. That's the other thing too, is I've been sort of thinking is like, maybe the catalyst version will be amazing. And maybe I'll do this thing because it's not an iOS app, right? It's not an iOS app, but I think that maybe the catalyst version will look prettier than my Mac version (laughs) of the app, because I don't know how to make pretty I don't know how to make pretty Mac apps. You do like even, you know, even the app stat, which we don't talk about a lot, like even that UI is very pretty. Like it's just a very pretty looking app. And like my apps are like labels and buttons. I mean, (laughs) that's all they need to be at this point and like terrible tabs, but you know, they get the job done, but I I wish that I could make pretty apps, but you know what? My apps do look very good. My iOS Um, apps. Thanks. It's yeah. Confusion. All right, Frank. So you released it opportunity. Now you said you were going to do these app groupings. I mean, you, you put this, the thing is you now made two apps. I'm assuming that there's a bunch of shared code and logic between them besides bits of the UI. So did you put them out separately? Like iCircuit was, you know, on iOS and on Mac and, you know, you know, people buying it twice, you know, what was your thoughts there? What was your final conclusion seeing that they didn't release at the same time, which I also thought was fascinating. Yeah. It's a brave new world out there. It's, it's kind of weird. It's blowing my mind a little bit about how we release apps now, but what you can do and what I chose to do was to make it a, a single app across all the app stores, iOS, iPad, Mac OS. It's a single app. You buy it once you get it on all three platforms. As a developer, that means there are two binaries that I upload, the iOS universal binary and the macOS binary. It's kind of interesting because before I uploaded the macOS binary, if someone had an M1 Mac, they could actually get the iOS version and run that. But the moment I upload the macOS binary, that one kind of disappears off the store. So you can no longer get the iOS version of the app on a Mac as far as I understand, at least, um, because the App Store is going to use my Mac binary as a preference. So it's a little bit weird, honestly. It was a tough business decision to make because they are two separate apps. They have, they both require different amounts of effort and that kind of stuff. But I learned some lessons from the past and was really able to get the code uh, really shared between the two. You know, I'm just realizing I have to do one of my classic shared code pie charts things for this. Um, James, I I want to announce at this moment in time that I did something absolutely insane in this app. And I implemented a version of UIKit, a very, very simple version of UIKit on AppKit. So I wrote my own little Frank Catalyst, Mac Catalyst, because I didn't want, when you write cross-platform code, it necessitates that you abstract your code across those things. So you need things like MVVM or interfaces and things like that. And I just didn't want to take that extra level of abstraction. 
So what I decided to do was all in on UI kit. So I'm, you know, focused on the iPad version of the app. And then whenever I wanted to compile the Mac version, I just hand implemented all of UI kit as whatever it needed to be on Mac. And so that's what has enabled me to keep a really good uh, code share between the two platforms. Ridiculous, huh? It's a, no, it's a pretty, I mean, it's, it's sort of the Xamarin forms in a way, right? I mean, it's, it's a single yeah. API and that's to, to you know, that's just going to make you more productive as you're adding new features and doing things. You may not, there's going to be a little bit of, you know, leeway and energy and effort up to that point. But then afterwards, once it's there, you can kind of kick through it and crush it. Uh, so, and continuously add features. So I think that is really, it's a great idea. I think it's pretty cool, you actually. Know, I thought it was so silly when I did it, but it's one of those ideas that just worked out because you nailed it. It was all upfront time. And I just haven't really had to go back to that code. It mostly just kind of works. Because, you know, like the majority of UI libraries is simple. UI label is UI label. UI button is UI button. There's nothing magic going on there. You know, it's easy to write labels and buttons as cross-platform. Both UI kit and app kit have stack views. They both have collection views. They both have list views. So it's really just a matter of mapping the APIs together, figuring out some like clever little Cody tricks. And it's not perfect. Um, there are a few eyesores to the UI that I don't like and that are a direct result of that translation layer that I've written. But for the most part, it's enabled me to get the code bases so in sync that I felt comfortable releasing them under one product banner. That is, I'm not charging twice for them. And I, I've heard from very kind people. They're like, oh, Frank, I would have paid twice for your app. Um, but the truth is, over the years, um, people have always questioned, why do I have to pay for a Mac version and an iOS version? And you write an email response and you say, look, because I have to spend a lot of time on the two. And I'm an indie developer. You know, my time is everything, basically. And people are generally understanding, but I just got kind of a little tired of writing that email, to be thoroughly honest. and. I like simplicity. This is a simpler model. Um, again, I'm probably leaving money on the table. I feel like I say that every episode. But this is a model that I'm happy with. And I'm sure it's a model customers are happy with because they're getting three versions of the app for the price of one. Yeah. And, you know, the, the question always comes down to is, well, what is that percentage of people that would have bought it twice? Is it 80%? Is it 50%? Is it 10%? Is it 5%? It's not 80%. Is... It's not 80%. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how you make the decision overall. And, you know, maybe more people will now use the Mac application and then buy your other Mac applications that are out there. There's always that sort of side effect that you can, you know, tweak things a little bit there too, which is fascinating. Um, so it's cool that you've, you've gone through this experiment, see how it works out overall. And, and I, I'm fascinated too, because what you said intrigued me, which was, when you release the Mac version of the app that removed the M1 version of the iOS app on M1 devices, yeah. which means now that application is going through Rosetta and is actually the Mac version of the app, which is probably better, question mark? Yeah, it's a little bit tricky because you are sacrificing some CPU performance because it has to go through that translation layer. Now, the good news is that translation layer is pretty darned good. And the times I notice that it's slowest are when it's doing JIT code. 
So I made the extra step of AOTing all my code, the ahead of time compiling, if you haven't heard of that one before. And what's nice about that is it doesn't have to go through the JIT. So Rosetta is able to do its full optimization pass and everything's able to run nicely. That said, when I can compile an AOT uh, ARM M1 version, I 100% will. But if you're writing a Mac out Mac app out there, and especially if you're coming from iOS, where we just live in an AOT world, we're very accustomed to it, all our libraries support it, turn AOT on, and your app most likely will be a lot happier on M1s. Oh, nice. That's a good pro tip from the Frank Kruger. Well, I'm excited about it, and I know that we'll have very much more to discuss in the future. Uh, you know, when I first asked you, how's it doing? You're like, well, I'm, you know, a weekend isn't a week and a weekend yeah. isn't a good <laughs> verification. So we will check back in on both of our apps. Frankly, we'll, we, we always like to do those recaps maybe in, in the next uh, lightning, lightning topic, which is going to be nine weeks away. So that's probably good enough time for us to figure it out and go from there. But Frank, yeah, also I will put links to your blog. It's a great in-depth blog on the creation of iCircuit3D. And I'll also link to my in-app purchase blog. I love when Frank blogs because they're nice and in-depth and awesome. So oh, hats thanks. off to you. I, I put big pictures in this one. I like blogs that have pictures. That's what I've decided. So I'm, I try to put big pictures in all, all my articles. So yeah, I wrote a little uh, The Tech of iCircuit3D. Go read it. It'll be, Go read it. It's worth, it's worth five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to support me and Frank even more in this podcast specifically, you can become a Patreon subscriber and... I guess they call them a subscriber, but Patreon patron. Uh, we've been doubling down and reinvesting in our Patreon page. We're now putting out weekly exclusive behind the scenes episodes over there. They're short and sweet, um, 10, 15 minutes or so, whatever is the top of our mind. We do one this week on the podcast industry. That was quite fun uh, to go through. And um, yeah, you can go in. We have an exclusive Discord channel that you'll be part of, or you can always you know hop on our normal Discord channels as well, which is quite fun. Um, and we've streamlined that and you also get all episodes early. So when I'm done editing them, you get them immediately one podcast feed for all the goodies and bonus episodes. Um, but yeah, go check it out at patreon.com slash mergeconflict.fm or just go to mergeconflict.fm and all the links to all the good things are at the top of that page, but that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno and I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.